0: As early as 1993, Warren Spector had been toying around with the idea of making an immersive simulation rooted in the real world, but based around millennial conspiracy theories. He was inspired by, among other things, his wife's fascination with the X-Files. He pitched it to various companies that he worked for throughout his game development career including Origin Systems and Looking Glass Studios, but none were interested in such a concept. That changed years later when Spectre received a phone call from none other than John Romero to come work for him. Romero's pitch? Come make whatever game you want. And with that, Spectre's idea for his immersive simulation became Deus Ex. Today we're going to tell you the story of Deus Ex, and also of Warren Spectre, its creator. So stick around and join us as we get lost in conspiracy theories on yet another trip down memory card lane. Good afternoon and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 147th episode of our video game history podcast, a trip down memory card lane. Each week we'll tell you the story about one topic relevant to the current week in gaming history. It can be about a game, a console, a person, just something relevant to this week. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the topic, what it took from the world as its inspiration or what it gave back to the world in its legacy. Today, we're all going to learn about Deus Ex, originally released for Windows in June of 2000. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host who can never make up his mind and therefore never finishes games that have open narratives like the one we're talking about today. He's my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, just when are you going to pick a path and do it,
1: man? Uh, when the path becomes easy to find.
0: Yeah, that's not how it works.
1: there's just so much to do. It becomes overwhelming and you just kind of don't.
0: That's true. So, so just don't.
1: Yeah, exactly. You get it.
0: I do. So, uh, what are we playing? What have we been playing? We've been playing the same thing all week. No, Uh, we have, we actually haven't.
1: No. Uh, well, Dave, this has been a little filled week of gaming. So finally got around to playing the Simpsons arcade yes we did uh we got to play some bro force we did get to play some bro force yes naturally there was some rocket league in there
0: there was yes
1: there was some runescape
0: you did play runescape a lot yes
1: uh there was some tears of the kingdom the new you zelda played, game you played a lot of that too i i sure did and uh also a little bit of elite dangerous
0: you played elite last week
1: uh, well, since we, we recorded last, yeah.
0: No, fair statement. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, that's a pretty busy gaming week. So how about you, Dave? What have you been up to?
0: Well, aside from all the we's we just talked about, I think the only thing left on that list was Everspace 2.
1: Uh, yeah, you did play that.
0: I played that for a little bit while uh, we were hanging out because you came to visit. And so we I got sure to... did. We got to play a lot of those games together, finally. Um, I think that's about it, though. I haven't really played anything since then.
1: Well, hopefully we can get you some more gaming coming up this week.
0: We shall see. So, Deus Ex, any familiarity with that game
1: or series? Uh, I'm familiar with Machina. No. No, not, not, not part of the same universe? No. Well, then I've heard of it, seen it, didn't know that wasn't part of it. I thought that was like a movie related to it. But um, yeah, no, never played it, never uh, got much into it.
0: Okay. Well, let's learn about it, shall we?
1: That we shall.
0: Take it away, Dave. So Warren Spector grew up in Manhattan in an environment he described as hostile. He is quoted as saying that short, pudgy Jewish kids just didn't fare well there. the same can be said
1: for a lot of environments Uh, yeah i'd say that's pretty standard
0: at the ripe old age of 13 he decided that he wanted to be a film critic after high school he attended northwestern university in illinois with that same goal in mind and at some point he is quoted as saying that he knew a lot more about movies than his teachers no ego or anything
1: none whatsoever
0: So he ends up earning his uh, B.S. bullshit in communication (laughs) at Northwestern and then went on to earn a master's of arts in radio, TV and film at the University of Texas at Austin. And all throughout college, he genuinely enjoyed gaming. He started out with tabletop game gaming, uh, played games that we have discussed before by Avalon Hill There was a science fiction game called Ogre and GEV and it it, he was mostly into tabletop gaming in this way until he became friends with a number of science fiction writers and they were all into surprise surprise uh, Dungeons and Dragons because everybody in the late 70s early 80s was into Dungeons and Dragons. So naturally... Uh, he found himself hooked on some Dungeons and Dragons. In fact, I watched him give a lecture at um, the GDC Game Developers Conference, and he said that Dungeons and Dragons was life changing for him.
1: Hmm. I mean, can't be said for a lot of people.
0: Very true. We've we've discussed many many stories where Dungeons and Dragons is like the moments where things changed there are a lot of people that took inspiration and realized that there was something else out there in terms of storytelling and gameplay and so on and so forth once they stumbled across D, so that that that's probably one of the most influential games of all time if not the most influential game of all time in 1983 specter was sitting around unemployed when he got a call from a writer for an entertainment magazine that he used to edit for in college. That magazine's irrelevant, but that writer is not. He is known as Chris Fink, who is now the editor of Space Gamer Magazine. It was a magazine dedicated to the subject of science fiction and fantasy board games and tabletop games. It was in print from 1975 to 1985. At this point, towards the end of its run, it was being published by Steve Jackson Games, which is probably known best uh, by our audience at this point in time for its Munchkin card game. But we've covered Steve Jackson games in the past when we talked about GURPS, which was the role-playing system uh, by Steve Jackson games. And it was the role-playing system that the original Fallout uh, video game was designed around. Uh, Go check out that story. It was pretty cool. We talked about it back in episode 111. So... Within a short time, Specter became editor-in-chief for all Steve Jackson Games projects, products, or projects, depending on how you look at it. And shortly thereafter, he began producing role-playing games for the company. Now, he had been friends with Greg Koskian since high school. Koskian, who was known as Designer X, had recently developed Tune, which was a role-playing framework. And while he had only intended it to be an article in fantasy gamer magazine or inspector liked the idea of tune and expanded it into a complete role-playing system and this became the first full role-playing system ever published by steve jackson games so after that he spent some time working on various sj games projects they included send in the clones he did actually work on gurps itself. Um, so I mean, he was he was involved with Steve Jackson Games, but then in 1987, March of 1987, he was hired by TSR, who was the developer of Dungeons and Dragons, actually, and there he worked on the Marvel Superheroes role-playing game, uh, hmm. and the second edition Advanced Dungeons and Dragons rule set, among other things. There were other projects, but those are two of the major ones. And then in 1989. Like so many other game designers, he decided to join the growing video game industry and joined a company called Origin Systems. Now, we've talked about Origin recently. Nah, maybe not so recently now that I'm looking at the episode. It was episode 94, so almost <laughs> a year ago. <laughs> Actually, about a year ago, wasn't it? No.
1: Yeah. Uh-oh. Um 140, yeah, 52, yeah, about yeah. about a year.
0: Yep, yep. We talked about it about a year ago. Origin Systems was created by Richard Garriott and is best known for the Ultima series of role-playing games, one of the granddaddies of the role-playing game genre. And Warren Spector was involved in many origin projects. He was co-producer on Ultima 6, he was co-producer on Wing Commander. He was the actual producer on the Ultima Underworld series for 1 and 2, Ultima 7, Part 2, Serpent Isle, a little game called System Shock, which I'm a big fan of, and some others. System Shock is the precursor to Bioshock, in case that wasn't obvious. He later spent some time as general manager of a studio called Looking Glass Austin, It was a studio that was founded by a former Origin Systems employee named Paul Nerath. And Looking Glass helped work on various Origin projects. Uh, For instance, two of the ones that uh, Spectre was a producer on, Ultima Underworld 2 and System Shock, were, were Looking Glass projects. And when Spectre was general manager, they developed a game called Thief, The Dark Projects, which is... Um, a, a really well-known game in the stealth genre. Um, he worked on it briefly, and he left Looking Glass Austin just before its launch. In 1996, Warren Spector was about to sign a contract with Electronic Arts to do an unannounced project. It was later revealed to be a Command and Conquer role-playing game. Interesting, huh? Huh. A
1: little bit, yeah.
0: Yeah, but. Before he could sign the contract, he got a phone call from John Romero. And we talked about John Romero, rock star video game designer. We learned about him all the way back in episode 15. That was a long time ago. Uh, yeah, I'd say. What was episode 15, Dave? He is one of the four founders of id Software, which became famous for their creation of Doom, one of the best-known first-person shooters and history and episode 15 would be on doom but once upon a time john romero actually worked at origin systems in fact his job at, as a programmer at origin he spent eight years as a programmer at origin was actually his first industry job as a as a video game developer and while he did the id software thing they made doom among other games but then he eventually left id Software with one of the other founders, Tom Hall, and they founded a development studio called Ion Storm. With the pedigree of its founders behind it, Ion Storm was able to sign a license with Idos Interactive for six games. And their plan was for the team to scoop up titles from other companies that were close to completion, finish them, and then push them out quickly to bring in their initial revenue. Thinking that they had it all figured out, the company spent ridiculous amounts of money on office decor and its facilities in general. Their corporate headquarters was located in suite 5400, which was 22,000 square feet of space in a penthouse suite on the 54th floor of Chase Tower in downtown Dallas. They spent $2 million outfitting their office. The headquarters included a crash room, which was a dormitory facility with two beds, three couches, a VCR, a widescreen television, and two telephone booths. And it also housed a gaming room with a ping pong table, four arcade machines, a changing area, and a shower room. Of course, we we all know why the headquarters include these facilities, because employees in the video game industry are, you know, asked to work incredibly long hours, crappy conditions. But, I mean, come on, man. Two million dollars on a studio space for a brand new company?
1: Like, that's, that's pretty significant. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. 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 Their first attempt towards their plan was a game called Dominion Storm Over Gift 3, which was mostly completed by a studio called Seventh Level. And 7th Level had previously employed one of the other founders of Ion Storm. It was a developer by the name of Todd Porter. Finishing this title was expected to take $50,000 and three months to complete. But instead, development took over a year and cost hundreds of thousands of dollars.
1: Jeez.
0: And once they finally released it in 1998, it received poor ratings and equally poor sales. Well, that sucks. I know. Strike one. One of the other projects that Ion was working on was John Romero's Daikatana. You ever heard of Daikatana before? Does not sound familiar, no. Oh, I remember Daikatana. It was announced in 1997 to much hype as it was Romero's first game after leaving id Software. Time Magazine itself gave the announcement of the game glowing coverage, quoting... That everything, as they wrote, everything that game designer John Romero touches turns to gore and gold. Hmm. An early advertisement for Daikatana, created by marketer Mike Wilson and approved by Romero himself, was a red poster with large black lettering proclaiming, John Romero is about to make you his bitch. A reference to Romero's infamous trash talk during gaming. Nothing else was featured on this poster, but a small tagline reading Suck It Down, an Ion Storm logo, and an Eidos logo. John Romero's about to make you his bitch, Rob.
1: Uh, yeah, it sounds like that, Dave, but uh, how?
0: Now, if you don't know what Daikatana is, it is a first-person shooter game in which the player controls a sword master who travels through various time periods in an effort to obtain the eponymous Daikatana, A powerful sword tied to the fate of the world. However, it had a very troublesome development cycle that saw a change in its engine, multiple release date delays, and the departure of several staff members. In fact, from beginning to end, only two people were still working on the project, and Romero was one of them. It did not go well. So the constant delays combined with marketing that mostly focused on Romero's involvement in the game ended up resulting in negative publicity for it prior to its release. So it finally releases in may of 2000 and critics panned it. It received negative reviews for outdated graphics, outdated gameplay, repetitive sound effects, and poor artificial intelligence. In fact, it only sold 40,351 copies. Very specific. And is now found on just about every single list of the biggest commercial failures in the video game industry. Wow. And somewhere within all that mess, John Romero had made a phone call to Warren Spector and his offer, come work for me and make a dream game with no limitations. So Warren Spector immediately thought ...about a game that he started planning back in January of 1993... ...just after the release of Ultima Underground 2 with Origin Systems. He called it Troubleshooter. And the ideas for Troubleshooter began to take shape... ...through the development of System Shock. I was coming off of System Shock, Spector mentioned in an interview... ...and I was just so bored with fantasy and science fiction stuff. We're all geeks, and we've been making games for ourselves for so long... And as the 20th century calendar wound down, I got obsessed with this sort of millennial weirdness. The conspiracy stuff that people believe amazed me. And then I noticed on every Sunday night that my wife ignored me while the X-Files was on. And I said, wait a minute, hold on. Real world millennial weirdness conspiracy stuff. And it all just kind of came together. That was the game that we needed to make. To be fair, I ignored everything on Sunday nights while the X-Files was on too. So,
1: <laughs> I mean, hey, I it's a good show, can't blame you. I
0: love the X Files. Oh my god, I love the X Files. Troubleshooter, in contrast to all the other games he had been making at Origin, would have been a real world role playing game, relying more on player choices and assuring that every player could reach the end of the game, but in the manner they chose. He actually proposed it to Origin in 1994 where he described the concept as a un- ultimate Underworld-style first-person action in a real-world setting with big-budget, non-stop action starring an ex-cop security specialist. But Origin failed to see any merit in the project. I can't blame them with that, 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 uh, that punchline, to be honest with you. So after he left Origin for Looking Glass Studios, he found himself again toying with the troubleshooter concept throughout the development of Thief, the dark project. At this point, the game had shifted. It was now called Junction Point, and Spectre kept changing the character and game system plans. And Thief, for that matter. As he was evolving Junction Point, he wanted to evolve the game systems in Thief to reflect that. So he was toying at this point with the concept of multiple ways to to solve puzzles in video games. And Thief is a stealth game, and it's entirely a stealth game. There is no alternative. You sneak around, if you're caught, you go back to the last checkpoint, you sneak through it. But what Spectre wanted to do with Thief was he wanted to make it to where you could either sneak or you could go in guns blazing. He wanted there to be different ways to get through the game. And this is what Junction Point was evolving into. Its character basis, its game system plans. Somewhere during this time, Spectre wrote that the timing was not yet ripe because the business teams were not interested in the idea. The technology was not yet feasible and he did not have an interested team or the resources to make the game. And that publishers did not want a first-person cross-genre game. So of course, when John Romero's phone call came through, he knew exactly what he wanted to do with the opportunity. So he joined Ion Storm, and pre-production on this game began around August of 1997, which a six-person te- with a six-person team, all of which he brought over from Looking Glass Austin. They all came over with Warren Spector. To begin with, in pre-production, the game's working title was Shooter, Majestic Revelations. And it had a scheduled release of Christmas 1998. And the working title was meant to be ironic because they did not want the game to be solely a first-person shooter. But before they finalized those game mechanics, they wanted to work on the setting. And they decided on a conspiracy-style story that reference existing conspiracy theories such as Area 51, CIA drug trafficking, the John F. Kennedy assassination, the Majestic 12, and a Masonic underground bunker beneath Denver International Airport. You know about all that, right?
1: Uh, not really. No, you don't know what Area 51 is? No, I, I've not, never heard of that place. No,
0: don't know about the John F. Kennedy assassination? who's that didn't know that there was an underground bunker beneath beneath denver international airport
1: that i actually didn't know
0: uh do you know what the majestic 12 is
1: i've it sounds super familiar but off my head i can't tell you what it is
0: (laughs) i figured that would be the one nb12 is an organization that appears in a lot of ufo conspiracy theories so they claim to be the code name MJ-12, of an alleged secret committee of scientists, military leaders, and government officials that were formed in 1947 by uh, an executive order given by Harry S. Truman to facilitate the recovery and investigation of alien spacecraft.
1: Interesting group. Yes, 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 yes,
0: yes. So there you go. So Warren Spector has said that their research into these existing conspiracy theories helped really help them understand how conspiracy theorists think, which allowed them to flesh out the story and setting for, the, for their game. The team also was able to look at the real world in 1997, and they found that there was a rise of stories about terrorists and mechanically augmented soldiers and they were able to build upon said stories and they used all of this together to work out a backstory they also took the time to sit down and design over 200 characters that didn't specifically have in-game roles assigned to them so that they would have all the framework already laid out to build out the world that they wanted to build once they started to make the game itself So in the third quarter of 1997, Spectre wrote a quote-unquote manifesto on his ideal game and the rules of role-playing that was later published in the February 1999 Game Developer Magazine. And in this manifesto, we can see some of the ideas that were implemented in Deus Ex. You can kind of see how, how the development was going, evolving, what it was going to be. His principles in this manifesto included problems, not puzzles, no forced failure players do NPCs watch and areas that had multiple entrance and exit points. Now it's funny, Rob, because all of those feel like commonplace. Now, do they not pretty commonplace? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, areas with multiple entrance and exit points. That's, I'd say that's standard, you know, because you know, players do NPCs watch that's maybe a little bit different now uh, because we've, we've really started to embrace immersion and as technology and artificial intelligence gotten better, I think NPCs do less watching. Uh, they watch and react, I think is more the way I would describe it. Like think Grand Theft Auto where people react to what you do in the world, you know?
1: Right. Yeah.
0: No forced failure. I think that that's a game design tenant that a lot of people have embraced. Um, there's not a lot of games that that again that force you to fail unless it's a, a game mechanic like when you've got those hard games like what were we looking at the other day the the really hard game the roddy game do you remember what the one i couldn't think of and we found the stupid guy in a pot with the sledgehammer
1: oh my god i forgot again i know exactly what you're talking about but i just can't remember the damn name i know that the game i couldn't think of that we were looking for is called only up
0: I, th- I thought it was called, like, Go Up, but it's literally called Only Up. So, anyway, I don't think force failure is a thing. And problems, not puzzles. I, I, I mean, that depends on the genre, too. In this manifesto, he was asked about it later on in reflection, and Spectre felt that his game, Deus Ex, accomplished the intent of his manifesto, as a side note. Now, the shooter design document, the original design document, set the player as an augmented agent working against an elite cabal in the dangerous and chaotic 2050s. Its subtitle was Playing in a World of Secrets, Lies, and Conspiracies. It was written to be similar in concept to Half-Life, Fallout, Thief the Dark Project, and GoldenEye 007, and it was to mix elements of the films Colossus, The Forbin Project, The Manchurian Candidate, and robocop in a world inspired by the x-files and men in black all examples of quote unquote the millennial madness that's gripping the world and a general fascination with conspiracy theories and the desire to play with high-tech espionage toys Eh, eh?
1: sounds pretty neat i mean those are all cool things right fallout no half-life seriously goldeneye GoldenEye is the only one that I've played extensively, but yeah, no, I, they're all cool concepts and great games. Robocop. Uh, yeah, I can't I mean, it it was a good movie. It was a good movie. (laughs) I've never played the game. Honestly, I didn't even know there was one.
0: Uh, no, he's talking about the movie at that point.
1: Oh, okay. Hmm. Yeah. There was, was
0: there was a a game though. I'm not surprised. It was an NES game. An early 1998 After six months of pre-production, the Deus Ex project grew to a 20-person team and entered what would end up being a 28-month production phase. The initial development team consisted of three programmers, six designers, seven artists, a writer, an associate producer, a tech, plus two writers and four testers as contractors. The team had many disagreements, and Spectre's original staffing setup actually crumbled. When two experienced designers both vied for the lead designer position, Spectre chose both and made two design teams. There was the Looking Glass Design Team, or Immersive Simulation Group, led by Harvey Smith, who worked on System Shock and Ultima 8. And there was the Ultima Role Playing Team, or Traditional Role Playing Group, led by Robert White, who worked on Ultima Online and Ultima 9. He initially thought, Spectre initially thought, that their competition would be easily managed and fruitful, but neither team fell second second to the other one, and Spectre had to merge the teams and choose a single designer who ended up being Bob White to lead them. Spectre described the team as interested in multiple genres of gaming, consisting of both maximalists who wanted to do everything and minimalists who wanted to do a few things well. Close friends who understood the team's intent were invited to test the game and give feedback. The wide range of input led to debates in the office and changes in the game. In his postmortem, Spectre concluded that the team was unrealistic, blinded by promises of complete creative freedom, and by assurances of budget, marketing, and no time restraints which he called Seductive Traps. By mid-1998, the game's title had become Deus Ex, from the Latin literary device Deus Ex Machina. You're not entirely wrong but about the title, just they're not related to one another. Uh, Deus Ex Machina Machina. Isn't that how you say it, Machina? Yeah. Sure, we'll go with Deus Ex Machina. It literally translates, it's Latin for God from the Machine. Whereby... An a possible plot is resolved by an unpredictable intervention. Spectre acknowledged its grammatical faults as a title, and added that he liked it because of the in-game struggle for power, the reference to the medium's own plot difficulties, the reference to the game inside a computer machine, and the self-referential acceptance of trying one's best to resolve affairs. The game was designed to be genre-busting, partly a simulation role-playing game, first-person shooter, and adventure. Spectre intended for Deus Ex to be an immersive simulation, similar to Ultima Underworld, by removing reminders of the game world, such as interface or backstory. He described the game's role-playing elements as the player character becomes a unique alter ego built from the ramifications of their unique gameplay decisions. And similar to a first-person shooter, the game uses a first-person perspective and includes shooting, but there are other non-violent gameplay options. Like in an adventure game, Deus Ex is primarily based on a linear narrative, though its puzzles are open-ended with many possible solutions and consequences. Ion Storm felt that the game was about player expression. Rather than the appearance of the developer's ingenuity, they wanted to treat the player as a collaborator that they could empower them to make choices and deal with the consequences. In light of this, the original, night in line with this, the original 1997 design document for the game privileges character development over all other parts, including experimental sequences and technology demos. They wanted players to consider who they wanted to be in the game and for that to be connected to how they behaved in the game. And in this way, the game world would be deep, deeply, simulated, real and common sense enough to be believed that the player may think about solving the game problems in creative ways without seeing distinct puzzles. The developers also wanted, as I said, choice with consequence, uh, what Spectre called the team's two most frequently uttered words. Nice. Their simulation was not able to maintain that level of openness and the team had to force skill action and character interaction passed through the levels. So it didn't work quite as they wanted it to. And testing also revealed that their idea of a role-playing game based in the real world was way more interesting in theory than in actuality.
1: Nice.
0: (laughs) They chose two real world inspirations for levels. There were highly interconnected multi-level spaces, um, places that, and, and places that one couldn't normally visit such as the white house so, highly interconnected multi level spaces would be like, uh, I think they, one of the stages is a stadium, for instance. So, probably that bunker underneath the airport or somewhere like that. In practice, they felt that some of the functions of the real world, such as hotels and office buildings, were not compelling in a game, and that reality always lost when up against fun. Their recreations of notable locations and items such as the Statue of Liberty and payphones were questioned when they did not emulate this actual site or function. And so the game changed greatly during production. The team had ambitious scope, and they had to figure out how to make it work with everything they were learning. But they did. Absolutely figured it out. They finished the game, the game was developed and published. Um, developed by Ionstorm, storm published by idos interactive and they ended up releasing it on june 23rd 2000 for windows 95 and later versions and yeah and wouldn't you know it rob i've played all the deus ex games have you dave i have well because, tell us
1: tell us about be- the game
0: because because no surprise this game is set in probably my favorite aesthetic ever which is cyber steampunk
1: oh cyberpunk
0: cyberpunk i love cyberpunk steampunk is close but cyberpunk is my absolute favorite aesthetic I, I i live for cyberpunk anything so so deus ex is a role-playing game it's set in a cyberpunk dystopian world during 2052 it follows jc denton he's an agent of an anti-terrorist agency he is given superhuman abilities by nanotechnology and he sets out to combat hostile fo- fo- hostile foes in a world ravaged by inequality and a deadly plague. His mission his mi- missions. I guess that's missions and decisions together. His missions and decisions, I guess, entangle him in a conspiracy that brings him into conflict with the triads, the majestic twelve, and the illuminati. Ooh. Ooh. It straddles a lot of different genres. It allows for its tax tasks. Man, I can't talk anymore. Tasks and missions to be completed in a variety of ways, which lead to different outcomes. It's presented from the first person pers- perspective, so it's the first person shooter, technically first person action game, I guess. Um, you can customize your abilities, such as weapon skills or lock picking, uh, by increasing your effectiveness in these areas. And that opens up different methods of, of interacting with things or exploration. So, like, you could hack computers, but some computers you had to be level two, and some computers you had to be level five, for instance. Just throwing, you know, uh, an example out there. Or stealth, you know, if you were low stealth, you couldn't crawl through a vent because you'd be caught. That's another example. There were side missions that you could complete away from the primary story, they would reward you with experience points that you could dump into those abilities, which again, helped you do the levels in different ways. Um, and incorporate elements from different genres. There was role-playing, first-person shooter, adventure, ad- adventure, and what they called immersive simulation. The last of which they quoted as being a game where nothing reminds you that you're just playing a game. Which is kind of funny to think that they were so full of themselves that they We still don't have immersive simulation. You know what I mean? We have VR, and I still think that we don't have immersive simulation.
1: Yeah, no, I could agree. It just depends on how immersive you're talking, but to to a degree that I'm assuming that you're comparing to, you're right, we don't. I mean, we're close. I mean, some VR is damn
0: close, but I just don't... I, I think there will always be something... That Uncanny Valley concept, there will always be something that takes you out of it. Reminds you that it's just a game. Until they're jacked right into our brain, then things will change. That's so what's next. Yeah. No, cyber, that we'll, cyber, we'll... Cyberpunk bitch. <laughs> so, skill points. Uh, as you complete objectives, you're reward with skill points there are 11 different areas you can dump those skill points into. So you could create a combat focused character by increasing your proficiency with guns, um, or you could create a, you know, more technologically adept character who could work better with lock picking and computer hacking. You could customize your weapons through weapon modifications, like adding scopes, laser sights, um, adding a bigger magazine, things like that. Um, and then, it's cyberpunk, so of course there are nano augmentations, which are cybernetic in implants that grant your character superhuman powers. Um the game has 18 different augmentations. You can install nine of them. Um one in the arms, legs, eyes, head, two underneath your skin, and three in your torso. So it requires you to pick and choose. Basically, you could customize your character, right? Um You could put an augment that would make you really good at hand-to-hand combat. You could put an augment that would uh, increase your ability to lift heavy objects. Um, So there were just a lot of different ways that you could play. Um, Combat was really first-person shootery, had real-time action. So you would encounter enemies in groups. And you, I mean, you can go in guns blazing or you could do cover, strafing, hit and run, whatever you wanted to do. above all i mean i know i keep saying it but you need to understand that above all this game really just emphasized player choice right um you could do it south you could snipe people you could go in guns blazing there were dialogue options to talk your way out of things you could become an engineer and and fix things you could hack computers to do things um so they had to design all levels like in a way that there wasn't only one way to do things. And also there wasn't one path either. So like there were large, you know, if you chose to do it one way, you could miss large sections of dialogue and large areas of the game and, and other content. And so, you know, this also encouraged replayability. The story also changed depending on how violent or nonviolent the player chose to be. In fact, this game is so unusual that two of its boss villains can be killed off early in the game or left alive to be defeated later in the game. And that also affects how the story plays out and how the characters interact with the player. Um, and I, I, I feel like talking about the stuff right now means nothing because all of this is just so well ingrained in modern game design but in 2000 when this came out that was all pretty dang revolutionary um, the concept of we had open world but we didn't have open ended gameplay like this does that make sense yeah it does so it, there were weren't games that let you pick like this at all how you want to do it you know it was it was literally the, you know the fact that during thief he was thinking of either stealth or guns blazing. That wasn't a thing. It was like one or the other. That's how all these things were. And here you had a game that chose to do so many different things, so much so that there was content that was going to be missed. And that's funny that we talk about that now. And we go, yeah, I guess so. I mean, that's kind of normal, right? I didn't need to go in that building anymore. And it's not a big deal. Um, but this was all a really big deal back then. And I think I think that was cool. There was a lot of hype around this game. I mean, it had a pedigree The Ion Storm studio was John Romero and Warren Spector was very well known. He did a lot of great games. The Ultima series System Shock was fantastic. Thief was fantastic. I mean, the guy is a stellar, you know, game designer in a lot of ways. Um, And this game was just great. It's cyberpunk. It's a really cool story the fact that it's rooted in the real world, like conspiracy theories. So it's kind of things that you kind of know about, you know, like you recognize the Illuminati. You're like, oh, the Illuminati. It's like for you, Rob playing Assassin's Creed and recognizing the assassins. You get what I'm saying? And the Templars and you're like, oh, I know them. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's Deus ex was the same way when it toyed with the concept of the Illuminati and the triads and so on and so forth. Cause you're like, oh, I know them. it's it's kind of the same feeling um and it was very cool this was this was a game this game this game's a lot of fun i'm not even gonna lie this game's a lot of fun it's a ton of fun and you missed it just thought i'd mention that again
1: well it happens dave
0: i mean you were what five when this came out
1: uh somewhere around there yeah you know yeah
0: yeah that's okay i forgive you
1: So Deus Ex ended up
0: receiving critical acclaim. Its Metacritic score is 90 out of 100. So people love it. It sold very well. It sold 138,840 copies. I love how specific it gets as you get into modern gaming. 138,840 copies and brought in $5 million in revenue by the end of its release year, which was 2000. It eventually sold over 1 million copies. And that... Of course, led to more Deus Ex games. Deus Ex: The Invisible War, which takes place 20 years after the original, was released in 2003. And the franchise sat dormant until 2011, in which Iidos Montreal took over and they developed uh, Deus Ex: The Human Revolution. Uh, it is a prequel to the original game, also takes place in New Detroit. Fun little fact. And that game was followed by a role-playing spin-off called Deus Ex: The Fall, which was released in 2013, and a sequel called Deus Ex: Mankind Divided, which came out in 2016. So seven years ago, and they're all great games. Um, you don't really need to play the old ones to know the new ones. I mean, it always helps, but I don't. I, I don't know. Someone's gonna rake me across the coals for it, but I don't think it was necessary because they're not quite the same characters actually because they're prequels so but uh if you ever want to jump into the franchise and learn what it's about the two modern ones the human and not that the old ones are bad they're all fantastic but i think the mo- modern ones are a little more playable although you can get the old one and i'm pretty sure you can mod it with like modern graphics and stuff if i remember correctly because i played it again about when human revolution was coming out um but yeah the modern ones the human revolution and mankind divided pretty easy to find i crap i mean what are you gonna what it what uh what are they gonna run what do you think that what do you think it's going for rob um
1: 225
0: nah so the original deus X is on steam for 699 invisible war is 699 um human revolution is 20 and mankind divided is 30 i see them on sale all the time i probably bought it when it was like 10 bucks to be honest with you uh and it was absolutely worth it Absolutely worth it. I would highly recommend them. According to this, you can buy the whole collection. Um, crap, I already have one game in the library, so my, my dollar amount is going to be off. Don't don't quote me on that one at all. Yikes. Yikes! The only one of these I have on Steam is uh, Mankind Divided. But I, I, I have them all. I'm wondering where the rest of them are. I don't know. Does it matter? Hey, do you know what's Steam Next Fest
1: uh, I did not know that, Dave.
0: Lots of, which we'll call it. Top of the screen right now has Engine Evolution 2023. I don't quite know what that is, but you know, we'll find
1: out. Yeah, that we will. So,
0: anyway, as of May of 2022, the modern series of games, so Human Revolution, The Fall Kind Mankind Divided, have sold over 12 million copies combined. So needless to say, people are still playing Deus Ex. I wish there was another. Despite Deus Ex's success, Ion Storm, its development studio, never really found its footing. They tried to make one more game called Arachnarox in 2001. And then Ion Storm Dallas, which also made Daikatana, ended up closing shop. And that left the other studio because it had split into two studios, which I really didn't bring up. The studio that made Deus Ex was Ion Storm Austin. Warren Spector stayed in Austin. Did not go to that luxurious penthouse in Dallas. Um, he got to open up a studio in Austin, and they made Deus Ex. Deus Ex and its sequel ended up being the only successful games from Ion Storm. Um, they ended up making Deus Ex, Invisible War... And one other game in the Thief series, and then in two thousand four, Warren Spector decided to leave the company to pursue other interests, and that ended up being the end of Ion Storm. Wah, wah,
1: wah. Well, what what happened after that? Oh, so what do you want to know? What he did? I mean, I guess it'd be kind of cool to know. I mean, we we talked about him a lot. So, it was that it did he did he stop after Ion Storm? Nope. 2005, he founded Junction Point Studios.
0: Somewhere between the end of 2005 and mid 2007, the studio is noted as having worked on an additional episode for Half Life, but before they finished it, it was canceled. Wah, wah, wah. Hmm. Junction Point Studios was then bought by Disney Interactive in 2007, and Warren Spector found himself working for the mouse. He ended up directing their first Disney project. It was a Wii game titled Epic Mickey.
1: You ever play Epic Mickey? I haven't played it, but I have seen it.
0: Yeah, it's a little, I think it's a steampunk Disney game. In January of 2013, it was announced that Warren Spector left Disney Interactive and Junction Point Studios was then closed. Oh. So apparently these studios can't exist without him. After leaving Disney, he worked with the University of Texas at Austin, his alma mater for his M.A., uh, and he worked with them to build a new post bachelorate game development program. So he helped write the curriculum and, and, and all that stuff with the school. In 2016, he announced that he had joined Other Side Entertainment. That was a studio formed by people he had worked with in the past with them, he has been helping the studio with the development of various video game series that he's familiar with. They supposedly are working on System Shock 3 and Underworld Ascendant. Actually, they finished Underworld Ascendant, it's a spiritual successor to Ultima Underworld. System Shock 3, I have no clue. No one knows what's going on with that. Um, we did just get the first System Shock game remastered like two weeks ago, it came out, honestly. So maybe they're working their way back through remasters. Although I think the remaster was handed to a different studio. Most recently, however, Other Side Entertainment announced in November of 2022 that Spectre is working on a multiplayer game with immersive sim elements entitled Argos, Riders on the Storm. And that is the last time we have heard of anything or Spectre. So there you have it. Also nothing new on the DSX front. No new DSX games. Warren Specter is working on Argo's Riders of the Storm. And and yeah, maybe we'll get System Shock 3 someday. Didn't maybe they make we two shall. Didn't they make two Epic Mickeys? I think they did.
1: I don't recall. I only remember there being one, but it's possible the second one slipped by me like so many other games have.
0: I know. There's a lot of video games out there. I, I You know, I
1: recommend a lot of game series to you. I don't know,
0: with your massive backlog, if I would necessarily recommend Deus Ex to you. I think it's a great game. I think it's a better story. I love it for the story. All this conspiracy theory bullshit, as an X-Files fan, right up my alley. I love the story of Deus Ex. It's very Assassin's Creedy, actually. Like, how they, they merge these you know the the whole assassins and templars and 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 like modifying history like that's a whole conspiracy theory too you know what i mean
1: yeah no Uh, it is
0: yeah so it's the same it's the same thing just done it's not going backwards it's going forward it's what the future could be if all of these conspiracy like imagine if the templars and the assassins kept going and, you know, in a cyberpunk futuristic society, they're still working behind the scenes to control the world. That's exactly what this is. But, you know, change out assassins and Templars for Illuminati and anti terrorist organization, for instance. It's a lot of fun. The story was a lot of fun.
1: It definitely sounds like it's a lot of fun. But, like I said, big backlog. Maybe someday I'll get there, but yeah, it's not on the top. Backlog.
0: Big, big backlog. That makes it hard to recommend. Oh, but they're fantastic games. They are fantastic games. So, um, We've covered a lot of fantastic games. You know, we talked about um, GURPS in this episode, and we talked about Richard Garriott and Origin Systems, uh, Command & Conquer. There were a whole lot of other things that we brought up. These are all topics that we've covered in previous episodes. And of course... You can view our archives complete with all of our previous episodes on our website, which is www.memorycardlane.com. Rob, what else can people do on our website?
1: Well, Dave, people can find calendars, previous and future episodes. Maybe go ahead and leave us some little tidbits about how you feel about some of the games that we're coming up to talk about. You can find links to things like our discord where you can uh, come hang out, share some fun things with Dave and I, and potentially get to play some games with us. And you can find links to our social medias, such as me being on various platforms as Rob underscore O underscore Raptor, R-A-P-T-O-R, and Dave. What about you? I can be found on various platforms as
0: David underscore is underscore wrong. David is wrong. And yeah, that'll about do it each week we tell you the story about one topic relevant to the current week in gaming history. This week, our story is all about none other than Deus Ex and its creator, more Inspector, who we've never covered before, actually. In doing so, by teaching you, by telling you the story, we learn. One of the best things about this podcast is as we teach you, as we do the research to teach you, we learn a constant cycle we learn we teach we teach we learn so in recognition of the beautiful cycle of learning life we like to talk about what we've learned each week so rob tell me what you learned today
1: i learned all about deus ex uh it's like i said i've heard of it but I'd, i was always under the impression that machina had some relation to it and it didn't um so a lot of stuff to learn there but i think that the uh the craziest thing was the uh the bunker under Denver Airport and the Majestic <laughs> Twelve, because uh, for some aliens and crazy government type uh, conspiracy theories, I'm surprised I never ran across those. True statement. So yeah, uh, I mean the gaming stuff is cool and all, but that's that. That was a piece of information that you threw at me. That's like, well, how the hell did that slip past? Because I, you know, I obviously you know I I enjoy the uh, the aliens and the conspiracy theories, and it's kind of cool to learn about ones that I haven't seen before. True. But that's it for me. So what about yourself? What's your big takeaway?
0: You know, as we get further into this podcast, we've 147 episodes in there. As much as stuff is out there when you're trying to do relevant topics, there also becomes less and less new things out there, for instance. So like recently, we've been having episodes where we've, you know, we're having to touch base on people or studios that we've covered before and I always go, well, go check out this episode. But here's a quick recap. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Um,
0: so it's really nice and refreshing to trip on, a, trip on a topic with someone that we've never been introduced to. And that was definitely the case this week with Warren Spector. Um, I'm sure we dabbled a little bit in him on the uh, Ultima episode with Richard Garriott. But not in any, like, not beyond name, I'm, I'm guessing, if I remember correctly. So to get to dive into Warren Spector and just learn about him and his design philosophy and how he came up and, and all that was really, really fascinating. And in all honesty, I had forgotten that he and Romero were tied together here in the Ion Storm. I, I just Ion Storm, uh, the only thing Ion Storm did significant was Deus Ex. And you don't know Ion Storm, you know Deus Ex. Everything else that Ion Storm did crash and burned. you know, um. So it was just it was fascinating to get to dive into Warren Spector again. That's all. So yeah, and that that's that. That's Deus Ex. Not Deus Ex Machina, just Deus Ex. That's Deus Ex
1: and Warren Spector.
0: <laughs> exactly right. Well, Rob, before I take it out of here, would you like to add anything to today's episode?
1: Well, Dave, as always, I do want to take one quick moment to say thank you so much to all of our listeners. We hope you enjoy and get a little bit of knowledge out of this, even if it's just random conspiracy theories that have nothing to do with gaming whatsoever, because that's what we do. We teach a little about a lot. Very true. And a lot about a little.
0: Mm, Debatable.
1: Yeah, you teach a lot about gaming, which is, I mean, granted large, but, you know, it's still in the grand scheme of things, a small thing.
0: (laughs) Thanks. Very true.
1: Well, on that note,
0: if you want to learn a little about a lot next week, we're going back to a simpler time when regular men and women competed against a cast of costumed athletes in a series of physical games against one another. These these contexts of strength and agility were broadcast on television and were known to the world as American Gladiator. Next week, we're going to look at the American Gladiator's video game, originally released for the Nintendo Entertainment System in 1991 and while doing so we'll also tell you the story of the television show itself and how it all came to be so join us again next week as we don our spandex bodysuits and go to battle against one another on yet another trip down memory card lane do the
1: thing dap <laughs> dap